Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 14 and hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ still remaining in the upper room at the table with his apostles, now 11 of them, before they will depart and take a walk to Bethany and the Garden of Gethsemane, and he will share with them chapters 15 through 17. But here we are in chapter 14, wonderful words, and those who have been taught some scripture from childhood, I hope we're taught John 14 and verse 6, because it is a wonderful verse and a powerful one. John 14, beginning at verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. Amen and amen to God's precious, inspired, preserved, and infallible words. We have been through the first three verses over three weeks' time. And so we do not need to spend any time reviewing them except one thought to gather from them, and that is the issue at hand is going to heaven. The issue at hand is getting to heaven because in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and I'll come again and receive you unto myself. It's my Father. I'm going to be with him in his house Where there are many mansions, I'll get you, we'll be together forever. It's not that obscure. But the Lord blinded those apostles until the day of Pentecost. Because we find that one week before Pentecost in Acts chapter 1, and I may refer to this more than two or three times, they were still confused, asking Jesus, Lord, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Because they're still confused, but they weren't confused after Pentecost. The way Peter preached in the morning, and the explanation and preaching he did in the afternoon, and the way he answered as we read to open this service in Acts chapter 4, was full understanding. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, without the Holy Spirit, we can't understand. But let's go right into verse 4. And whither I go, ye know. Whither is a word for where. Where I go, ye know and the way ye know. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, being of infinite wisdom and understanding, his apostles are challenging them. He knows that they don't fully understand and that they're confused and in doubt about certain aspects of where he's going and how he's going to get there and how they're going to get there. Because Jesus will transition from him going there to them getting there. Because the last part of verse 6 is... No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So he's broadened it out to include the apostles and us 
for which we're thankful as to how we get to heaven. These words follow well what went before because Jesus was departing from them and had told them that back in chapter 13. Remember verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither, there it is, whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say to you. I have told the Jews in John chapter 7 that I'm going someplace that they can't come, and I am saying the same thing to you now, that I'm going someplace that you can't come now, but you'll come later as we find out by reading the next few verses as Peter Question the Lord about that. Jesus promised his second coming. We studied that on Wednesday evening. And so the context is easy enough for us to grasp verse 4. He had told them in various ways and at various times that he would die, he would rise, and would return to his father. But they didn't understand it. The Jewish concept and belief and hope was so strong that the Messiah, when he came, would deliver them from the subjugation of the Roman Empire and reestablish their national independence and superiority over the nations. After all, if David was able to deliver them from the nations around them and exalt them as a nation all the way from the river Euphrates in Iraq to the Nile River in Egypt, from the Jordan to the Mediterranean, David expanded the kingdom greatly. The son of David, who was David's Lord and who would be the Messiah, he's really going to do big things. And so their mentality was that way, and the apostles are that way. Thus, Acts 1 6 Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? To Israel. They couldn't imagine a spiritual kingdom because they were thinking naturally. And it's one of the hardest concepts for people to get over is to stop thinking naturally and to think spiritually. The spiritual is always more important than the natural. Anything you can see with your eyes is natural and it has a hot future. We learned that Wednesday evening. Everything that you can't see is spiritual and it's eternal. Those are the last two verses of 2 Corinthians 4. That's why we walk by faith, not by sight. And the apostles were messed up. Look at Luke chapter 18 for me to show you how they were blinded and didn't understand the Lord's plainest explanations as to what was going to happen to him. I love these words that we have before us. Jesus is with his eleven, and he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't claim any false humility. He simply says it the way it is. I am. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Well, a few minutes. Luke 18, 31. Watch this. Then he took unto him the twelve, so we know his audience, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, that's the Romans, and shall be mocked 
and spitefully entreated and spit it on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. Now, could verse 34 be any more thorough in telling you that the apostles did not understand the simplest of prophecies? The simple prophecy, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of foreigners, and these foreigners are going to mock me and mistreat me, kill me, but I'll rise again from the dead. That's the future. But their future was an entirely different picture. They wanted Jesus on the back of a white horse, riding in and reestablishing the supremacy of Israel. But Jesus came here to die. He didn't come here to establish an earthly kingdom. He came here to establish a spiritual kingdom, and he had already done that with the ministry of John the Baptist and his own apostles. But looking at this passage, and there are more like this in the other Gospels that tell us they did not understand, we can come back to John 14 and understand Thomas's confusion. Jesus had told them his life on earth was short. He had told them he would rise again. He had told them that he was from God and would return to God. And so when he said, and whither I go, ye know, I've told you. But they didn't really, they didn't know. They were confused. And so Thomas is going to ask about it in the next verse. Jesus asserted that they knew, though they were in confusion and doubt about it. So he was challenging them. As to their knowledge, they had a problem with the Messiah, as I've just mentioned. It is a shame that most are reluctant to give up natural interpretations of things for spiritual. The futurists and the dispensationalists that are still imagining a kingdom for Israel in the Middle East. They are 2,000 years too old. There is no kingdom for Israel on earth. It is a spiritual kingdom made up of Jews and Gentiles, and our Jerusalem is in heaven. As Galatians 4 says plainly, as Hebrews 12 says plainly, as Hebrews 13 says plainly, we don't have a continuing city here. It's in heaven. It's a spiritual kingdom, and it's far greater. And it's going to rule the universe in just a few short years when Jesus Christ puts all his enemies formally and officially under his feet, including Israel, who are the greatest Christ-haters on earth. We're not anti-Semitic. We're anti-dispensationalists who are Zionists. Go ahead and trace that, if you will. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. It is his right to expect us to learn by the teaching that's been given us. The Lord Jesus Christ saying, And whither I go, ye know. Ye should know. You shouldn't be confused. I have told you. But they had been blinded and they were confused. They were blinded by their own presuppositions about the future. And they were blinded by the Lord to keep them until he revealed to them the Holy Ghost by his own power. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus, after his resurrection, was on the road to Emmaus with two disciples. And he's, he comes up and joins them, and they're talking about what a terrible day it is, and what a terrible weekend it's been, and what a horrible time, because Jesus, they thought, was going to deliver them, and 
he's, he's died and was buried and now they can't find the body and they're just all messed up. And he says, oh fools and slow of heart. Right. Now who in here wants to be slow of heart? I want to know how fast you're learning things. How much have you learned things? And how are you gathering them in? And are you able to tell others about those things? Right. Because in, Paul, in Hebrews chapter 5, Paul said, for, when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the principles of the doctrine of Christ. We should, you, you still need milk. And you should be able to have meat and be able to handle meat. And so we want to grow. We don't want to be like Thomas. Thomas is going to be changed. But remember the change that was made with Thomas was by the Holy Ghost. And we have the Holy Spirit since the day of Pentecost, perpetually with his church, to open the word of God to us. Make your prayer when you read the Bible always. Lord, bless me mightily by your spirit and by your word. The Holy Spirit, the person of God, the presence of God, the power of God with us, and his written word. Combine those two to enlighten my mind. Show me marvelous things out of your word. As David prayed in Psalm 119, 18, and he didn't even have the Holy Spirit like you have the Holy Spirit. He only saw things darkly and obscurely. Whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. He had explained to them in John chapter 12 that he was going to have to die. That unless a seed die and be planted in the ground, it can't bring forth much fruit. He had told them, for him to get to heaven, he had to die first. For us to get to heaven, most likely, we have to die first. Right. Now, if the Lord's gracious to us, he'll come while we're still living. Amen. But he'll be gracious to us if he doesn't. Amen. And these bodies corrupt and we drop them in the ground like a seed and our spirit immediately be, is with the Lord. Amen. So that's how we get there and that's how he was to get there. And he had told them that. And he had told them already for their own way to heaven was by faith and obedience. If there's any gospel account that has the recipe or the route or the way to get to heaven, it's the gospel of John. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. He that believeth on him hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. These are the chapters preceding John 14. It had been clearly taught for how they were to get to heaven. But here's Thomas. Now, let's do a little bit of study on Thomas as we read his words in verse 5. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? You know, if you don't know the destination of someone, you certainly don't know how to get Well, you don't know there. How do you get where if you don't know there? If you don't have the destination, you don't know the means of getting to your non-destination. And so Thomas is just stating his confusion and doubt about the whole thing. And the whole thing is how to get to heaven. Brethren, we believe in the end of the world. And the end of the world is coming soon. 
But it's not the end of the universe for us. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we're having this secret meeting today. That's why there's no paparazzi outside and no one appreciates what's going on here and other churches like ours that hold the truth about future events. The future events are that Jesus is going to burn up this earth and take us to heaven. And we're going to rule the universe and enjoy the universe where there is no sin nor corruption forever with him. But how do we get there? That's what we got to answer. And the Lord's leading them along, and Thomas is going to throw a little speed bump up, but Thomas's speed bump gets us John 14, 6. So thank you, Thomas. Amen. And here we go. Thomas saith unto him... Listen, there's more speed bumps Thomas throws up, and it gets us a blessing. Mm-hmm. Just a moment. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Thomas was his name in Hebrew. In Greek, it was Didymus. And we get that in our New Testaments. Both names mean a twin. We don't know his other twin. Does that bother you? Nope. 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 Good. He was with the six apostles on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus baked fish. So he was out there with Peter when they were fishing after our Lord's resurrection. Tradition has Thomas going east and dying either in Persia, which is our Iran, or India by a lance. We don't know any of that. All we know is the few things that the Lord gives us about Thomas, and he gives us more about Thomas than about half of the other apostles, though the Lord doesn't tell us as much about him as Peter, James, and John. Thomas, weak in faith and impulsive, had suggested in chapter 11 that when Jesus said, let's go back to Judea so that I can check on Lazarus, because they had gotten word that he was sick. The apostles all knew that the reason they had left Judea was because the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. So Thomas says, let's just go with him and die. That's John 11, we were there. Thomas, weak in faith and impulsive, had suggested they die with Jesus. Thomas, weak in faith and impulsive, is in the upper room, is in a room with the apostles who tell him that they have seen the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead. I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe that unless I can stick my finger in the holes in his hands and stick my fist in the hole in his side. I'm not going to believe it. Well, what happened next? The Lord showed up. And the Lord had heard it from outside the room. Surprise, surprise. And he held out his hands. Thomas, go ahead. Do what you need to do. Now, he's a doubting Thomas at this point in time, but just hold on for a couple of seconds. Go ahead. Here's my side. My Lord and my God. Amen. No apostle is recorded in the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ with a higher appellation or name or title for Jesus than Thomas on that occasion. So let's not despise him too much. Let's not despise him at all. He was confused, and if it weren't for the Holy Ghost that we've had since Pentecost, we would know less than he did. My Lord and my God. Now that gets right to the point, doesn't it? My Lord and my God. And then Jesus said, Thomas, you're blessed because you've seen me, but more blessed 
are those that believe on me that have never seen me. So, see, that's pretty nice from the speed bump Thomas threw up, that we get that encouragement that God considers us more blessed than the above 500 brethren that saw Jesus Christ after his resurrection. Does that excite you this morning? Here we are. There's nothing that looks like Jesus Christ around here. We're, We're worshiping in poverty. But it doesn't matter. We're rich in our faith in Christ Jesus. And he counts us as being more blessed and more faithful, greater Christians, for believing without seeing than believing by seeing. So let's believe today on the Lord Jesus Christ. Though we can't see him with our physical eye, we can see him with the eye of faith. We may commend Thomas for declaring his ignorance to his Lord Jesus and before the other ten. So I want to commend Thomas for speaking up and saying, Lord, we don't know what you're talking about. And he didn't say it necessarily in the voice and mood that I just said it in. Listen, brethren, it's always better to ask a stupid question, and stupid's only in the eyes of the speaker. Right. When it's used that way, it's always better to ask a stupid question than to not ask and remain ignorant. Such questions of confusion or such questions to learn are not foolish and unlearned questions. Haughty questions where you think you already know the answer are foolish and unlearned questions and don't get answered. Confessing ignorance to God brings favor. Solomon said, I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. Though he was well taught by David and well taught by his mother Bathsheba, he said, I am but a little child and I don't know how to be a king. Will you give thy servant a wise and understanding heart so that I can be a good king for your people? And the Lord likes conversation like that. And he made Solomon very wise. But the Bible has the same promise for us in James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Lord, we know not whither thou goest. Now it appears that Thomas contradicted Jesus, but let's mercifully consider it only in degree. Mm -hmm. He wasn't trying to contradict him. They were confused and they were in doubt, as we saw in Luke chapter 18. Jesus had challenged them about their understanding, so Thomas admitted his ignorance. Remember, the problem that they had with Messiah as a Savior, they wanted Messiah as a national deliverer. It was huge. It was a constant problem. We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. That's the answer of the Jews that believed on Jesus, because they weren't real believers. In John chapter 8, their trust in their lineage from Abraham, their trust in Moses, but not their trust in Christ or their trust in God. It was their trust in gold. If you were to swear by the gold of the temple to a Jew, you were bound by that oath. This is taught in the Gospels. If you swore an oath by the gold of the temple, you were bound. It didn't matter that the temple happened to be the place where God, Jehovah, dwelt on earth. That was of little concern to them. You could swear by the temple and break your oath, and it wouldn't be a sin. But if you swore by the gold of the temple, that tells you the Jewish mentality, and it hasn't changed. But that's a point for some other time and probably not this pulpit. You can read about that very easily. The whole world knows it. It, They're a proverb and a byword in the earth, just like the promise of God about them. 
that they would be a proverb and a byword in the earth. So that when you are miserly and stingy and barter with someone and get them to a low price, it is said that you are Jewing them down. So their, their minds were all messed up about what kind of a kingdom they should be looking for. And since they didn't know the kingdom, they didn't know the way to it either. Right. So Thomas answers the way that he does there here in John 14, 5. Though Jesus had just stated that heaven was the issue in verses 1 through 3, they didn't see his return to heaven. They were thinking he's going to pick some little town like Bethlehem or Hebron, where David had gone, to be anointed king. And we'll all ride victoriously into Jerusalem and overthrow this whole mess. Throw Herod out. But that's not what the Lord Jesus had in mind at all, even though, and he had told them that. Like the Jews, if Jesus said he was departing, they would try to imagine some place horizontally on earth. They would pull out maps. Look, just turn back a few pages to John chapter 7. We were there a number of months ago. Verse 33, Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. See, he had said these things. Whether thou, we don't know where you're going, Lord. Well, I told you that I was going to him that sent me. Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. This is him speaking to the Jews. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? Horizontal. So are the dispensationalists. So are the Zionists. So are the futurists. They want stuff and junk happening on earth. We want to get this earth over with, burned up and replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. Lord, have mercy and save us from such carnal, worldly, fleshly ambitions of earthly Jerusalem. And let us focus on heavenly and spiritual Jerusalem. The missed, they missed heaven with God as Jesus' destination, so they were confused altogether. Forgive Thomas's ignorance. Remember that without the Spirit and the Word of God, there go we. Remember this, in 50 days, 50 days from right now, after the Holy Spirit was given, Pentecost means 50. Penta. Penta. 50. Pentecost. 50 days after Passover. So 50 days later, when they got the Holy Spirit, they knew. You heard Peter when I read a few verses to you this morning from Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 14. They're wonderful. You were moved by the words. They were so confident, so sure, so full of truth and facts about Jesus Christ. So let's remember that. These apostles changed and they turned the world upside down. Thank you, Lord. We come to verse 6. Jesus spoke in verse 4, Whither or where I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. What a master. And by master I mean teacher. What a teacher. What an apostle the Lord Jesus Christ was. He is the greatest apostle. 
Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. He is the teacher of our souls. And he taught his apostles repeatedly and dealt kindly with them in spite of their ignorance. This is clearly a favorite verse of many Christians, and it should be very dear to them, and it should be very dear to you. Jesus answers, how do we get to heaven? And he answers it confidently. He answers it dogmatically. He answers it exclusively. He is nothing like the speakers today. He is not relative, and he is not inclusive at all. He is exclusive, and he spoke the same way in other places. If ye believe not on me, ye shall die in your sins. John 8 and 24. The topic at hand should be clearly identified, and we've identified it. It's heaven. Our Lord's answer is about men going to heaven, as the last part of the verse proves to us. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And where is God the Father but in heaven? And so no man can get to heaven, no man can come to the Father except by the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way. Love this glorious Jesus of ours that dogmatically and exclusively claim to be Savior alone. I am the way. He's not one of many ways. He's not a way. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. There isn't another way. There isn't another truth. There isn't another life. He is all those things. Jesus and the Bible are absolute in presenting truth, not relativistic like men today. Men today are relative about things. Well, that's the way you see it. This is the way we see it. No, there's only one way to see it. And that's God's way. If you don't see it God's way, you're absolutely blind and know nothing. That's what the Bible says. I know it's harsh language. That's the Jesus of the Bible. He's not the Jesus of the world. The Jesus of the world has his arms outstretched and just takes them of all creeds and of all kinds. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's never taken anybody of two creeds. There's one creed. It's his creed. If there's one doctrine, it's his doctrine. There's one baptism, it's his baptism. There's one faith, there's one Lord, there's one God. Amen. And we love this verse, and we should love this verse, and our children should remember this verse, that there is no other way to heaven. Jesus and the Bible are exclusive about ways to heaven, not inclusive. The rise of universalism is shocking. Universalism is nobody goes to hell. There may not even be a hell. Universalism. Everybody gets saved because people don't want to think about hell. They don't want to think about judgment. They don't want to think about the real God of the Bible who is a God of wrath and is dreadful and terrible. Yes, he loves his children, but his children are a minority on planet Earth. Yes, He deals kindly with his holy angels. But the wicked angels he has reserved in chains unto judgment of the great day. He is a terrible judge. Heaven is not clean in his sight. Those angels were filthy for their pride in wanting to be like the Most High through Satan, their leader. And more of that in the second service. The rise of universalism that all get saved coincides with including other ways to heaven. 
You know, Billy Graham, for many years, just kept getting worse and worse and worse until he wanted it to be known that there were more ways than Jesus Christ to heaven. When he was asked by Larry King, and I watched it live when it happened, one of the rare things I've ever seen live, Larry King asked him, because Pope John Paul II had just recently died, Billy, because see, Larry King knows the truth better than Billy King does, and Larry, than Billy Graham does, Larry King doesn't know any truth at all. But, but Larry King said, where's John Paul II? Is he in heaven? Larry, I want to tell you that I have more confidence in John Paul II being in heaven than I do in me getting there. Now, Billy, we know better than that. That's a shame that a man could even mouth such words right. about the man of sin and the Antichrist himself, John Paul II. What in the world's happened? Billy Graham in the 1950s and 1960s, preaching in L.A., preaching in other places. Boy, he preached hell. He preached hell, and the only way out of hell was the cross of Jesus Christ and coming to that cross. But men are changing, and we live in a changing time when the Bible says that men will no longer endure sound doctrine but heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So we want this first clause from Jesus. In verse 6, Jesus saith unto him... I am the way. I am the way. First person. I'm the way. The way. There's no other way. I am the only way is just as true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Singular. First person again. Powerful. No one gets there but by me. I am the way. There is only one way to get to heaven. Not many ways as most want to claim today. The inclusive idea that all religions have some good and get to heaven by different paths is entirely false. Right. Since torture and death failed for the 1260 years of Rome's rule over Europe in the Dark Ages, now the devil's tool is compromised by inclusiveness. We, we won't go to a martyr's stake, most likely. We will not be stretched apart on a rack by the Roman Catholic Inquisitions. But we will have the Catholics embracing evangelicals and evangelicals embracing them back and uniting together and defying us and denying us that we don't have the love of Jesus. We don't have... Their, the, their love and their Jesus right. for error. That's right. We love the Jesus of the Bible. Yeah. And Paul said there was another Jesus and another spirit and another gospel. And we reject all three. We want the Jesus, spirit, and gospel of the Bible. Amen. Torture and death failed, so the devil's tool is compromise. There's more than one way. We're all going there. We're just getting there different ways. No, we're not all going there, and we're not getting there different ways. There's only one way, and only some are getting there. And only a few are getting there. Because the Bible says, wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, 
and many there be that go in thereat. But straight is the gate, narrow and restrictive like a straight jacket. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. That's what Jesus taught. There are not different paths to heaven, one through Jesus, another through Buddha. There is no other mediator or mediatrix like Mary or the popes and priests of Rome. They cannot help anyone get to heaven. They need more help than most men on earth. Being part of that brothel of whores and harlots called the Roman Catholic Church. That's what the Bible calls it. In this day of compromise, let's get everyone to heaven. We must stand for the truth. This truth right here. Jesus, in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, five chapters. It's the last six hours of his life. He is sitting with his apostles and he is giving them the gospel. He's giving them the doctrine that they should preach in the world. And they turned the world upside down with the truth. And the truth was never, hey, we like your religion. You have some good things going on there. When When Paul met the philosophers of Athens, Greece in Acts chapter 17, he didn't do them any favors. He said, you're a bunch of superstitious, ignorant men, and God's winked at your ignorant... Listen, he was talking to the brightest, most educated, intellectual men on earth. God's winked at your ignorance in time past, but now he's commanding that you ought to get down and repent. That's Paul. That's Jesus. That's how they preached, but that kind of preaching doesn't take place anymore. It's all compromise, watered down, milk toast, Get rid of all the distinctives that make us separate so that we can all unite. Why do we want to be united? Nowhere in the Bible does it say to get united. Except in a local church body, we're not to have division. But other than that, we are to separate on every hand, the Bible teaches, separation. From the world. Separation from its religions. Separation from error. Jesus told the woman of Samaria, Woman! You Samaritans don't have a clue what you're worshiping. God seeks those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And And she said, I know, I know I've heard my whole life that truth is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, listen, woman, the hour is coming when they're not going to worship in truth in Jerusalem either. Because the change was taking place. The great reformation that the Bible described by John, Jesus, and the apostles was changing the way of worshiping God. Wasn't changing God. He'd been the same all along. He just had some better thing for us, and it's called the New Testament. Thank you, Lord, for the New Testament. The Jews thought that birth lineage from Abraham would get them there. They were wrong. The Jews thought that trusting in Moses' law would get them there. They were wrong. And so we have John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, fighting against Jewish trust in Abraham, Jewish trust in the law, It's a shame that the Apostle Paul had to waste so much of his time fighting Jewish legalists who should have known better. They were the most enlightened nation on earth. They were monotheistic, worshiping one God. They knew God, Jehovah. They knew the prophecies of the Messiah. They should have all believed. But they wanted to fight the most. And they wanted to disrupt Paul's Gentile churches. 
And so they were teaching Jewish legalism, and that is you had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to get to heaven. And so there's books of the Bible written against that, like the book of Romans and the book of Galatians is written against that. There's only one way. And Peter let that go in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, and continued to do so. Right. Look at Acts 15, when Peter spoke up at the Council of Jerusalem. Acts chapter 15, I am the way. Jesus said, and those apostles went out. Those last hours with Jesus were precious. Jesus laid a lot of truth on them. Then Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit to bring to their memories everything Jesus had taught them. Right. So everything Jesus had taught them, they went out and declared. Here we are at the Council of Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul has been harassed, and the church at Antioch of Syria, 300 miles north of Jerusalem, has been harassed by Jewish converts that have come north and said, you've got to keep the law of Moses to be saved. It says in verse 1, certain men which came down from Judea, when it says down, it's coming down in altitude. <coughs> I know, we've got to go down south, don't we? We, we misunderstand the word down and up in the book of Acts because we're just thinking directionally from a compass standpoint, but that's not how it's used. It means to come down in altitude right. from the mountains of Jerusalem. Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. Notice the debating going on in the church of Jesus Christ because of Jews thinking that they were converted but wanting to add Jewish works to the finished work of Christ. They determined, the church at Antioch determined, that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. What do Gentiles have to do to be saved? How much of Moses' law do they have to keep? And so they gather together. Verse 7, And when there had been much disputing, this is now down in Jerusalem. No, it's, uh, it's up in Jerusalem. See, I did it again myself. It was down south in Jerusalem, but it was up in Jerusalem because it was up in the mountains of Judea. Amen. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter in verse 6. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Amen. Now that's a glorious, wonderful statement about salvation. And Peter admits, neither we nor our fathers were able to keep the law of Moses and its 718 commandments, or however many there are. That's one number that men have come up with. We couldn't keep them, so how are we going to get to heaven? We can't even be legalists while we're preaching Jewish legalism. It's a ridiculous idea. 
And God proved that these Gentiles in the household of Cornelius were saved because he gave them the same gift that he gave to us on the day of Pentecost. Now, why tempt ye God to even have this kind of a discussion? Oh, I, I love Peter after Pentecost. I, I love Peter about five minutes after Pentecost because Acts chapter 2 is wonderful. And it only took me 34 pages of notes to tell you about it. Acts 2 in the day of Pentecost was wonderful to understand the preaching that took place that day and how Peter explained the Lord Jesus Christ to those Jews. Now the Samaritans thought that their ape religion in Mount Gerizim, remember all this? You're supposed to know it all. Well, that's not the best way to put it, but you're supposed to know about Mount Gerizim. In John chapter 4, the Samaritans, Jesus referred to a mountain. Uh, and the Samaritans worshiping in a mountain because the Samaritans were half-breeds and they were aping the Jews' religion by building a temple comparable to the Jews in Mount Gerizim, 30 miles away from Jerusalem. That's what the Samaritans did. The Jews resented it. The Samaritans resented the Jews. Neither of them had any love for each other, and they weren't worshiping in truth. And Jesus said, you're not doing it right there. They're not doing it right in Jerusalem. The Father seeks those that will do it right. And Jesus is the truth that we'll get to next. Right. But right now, he's the way. Religions today, from Islam to Mormonism to Catholicism to Masonry, have their way. We may and we will mock these heretics and imposters like Elijah mocked Baal's prophets. Amen. There isn't a chance in hell that any of their ideas can get one worshiper out of hell. There isn't. Millions flock to Mecca to kiss a meteorite. Do you understand the Kaaba stone? K-A-A-B-A. -A -A, the stone in Mecca. Why do all the Muslims want to go to Mecca? So they can kiss a meteorite and throw pebbles at the devil. That's called stoning Satan. On one of the days of their Hajj, their trip to Mecca, millions flock to Mecca to kiss a meteorite under a crescent moon and stone Satan. Hindus bathe in the fecal matter and filth of the sacred Ganges River, sacred only in their minds, to reincarnate later. They've all got their ways. I am the way, Jesus said. Amen. Mormons following a polygamous stone peeper think they have apostles and priests out in Salt Lake City. We have one apostle and one high priest, and it's Jesus Christ our Lord, Hebrews 3.1. My favorite verse for Mormons. The apostle and high priest of my profession is Jesus Christ. Do you want to tell me about your stone peeper? Joseph Smith was a stone peeper. He had a little stone that he carried around in his pocket. And if you couldn't find well on your prop water on your property, he'd pull his little stone out and peep in it and find water for you. Who was helping him find water? Satan the devil. Yes. That is folk magic. Devil possession by the founder of the Mormon religion who copied the Masons in so many different ways with their holy underwear and the rest of it to get to heaven. And how do you get your dead relatives to heaven that never converted to Mormonism? You get to go to a temple, not one of their places here in town, but a temple, go into underground to an underground baptistry and are baptized by proxy for dead relatives. All these ways men have come up with to go to heaven because they don't want the one way. The Mormons have four holy books. They have a King James Bible. 
Because they need to keep that because it sounds like the Book of Mormon since it was plagiarized out of the Bible. Then they have the Book of Mormon, they have the Book of Doctrines and Covenants, and they have the book called The Pearl of Great Price. Why doesn't anybody want to just stick with the Bible? Right. Jesus said, I am the way. <coughs> enter a presence and enter apprentices, the first degree of masonry, are blindfolded to swear that they are in darkness and seeking the light of masonry. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Right. There is no light anywhere else. There's only one way, the legal sacrifice and perpetual intercession of Jesus Christ. The substitutionary atonement. Do you know what we mean by that? Those are two big long words. Substitutionary. Jesus died as a substitute in my place. Amen. Instead of God killing me and sending me to hell, God punished Jesus and killed him. Substitutionary. Jesus was my substitute. Atonement. Look at the words and how it's spelled. A-T, can we pronounce it? At, O-N-E, one, meant. At, one, meant. At, one again. The gulf between God and men, created by sin, separating us from God, we were put at one again by the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. That's the one way. There's only one way. The sins and their debt had to be paid by another for the justice of God to acquiesce. And it did. Jesus is, God can be just and the justifier by punishing Jesus for us. Included, of course, with his death is his resurrection and his ascension into heaven to be seated at God's right hand to make intercession for us. Look at Romans 5. Don't ever forget this or you're going to be like Thomas. I've taught you this. Though the Bible exalts the death of Jesus Christ very high, and though we are going to have the Lord's Supper to remember his death till he comes, is there something that the Bible reminds us of as being even of greater significance? Yes. Okay. Don't forget it or we're going to be like Thomas's. Because right. I've been over it enough times. Look at these verses. Romans 5.10 For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Do you know what those words mean? We were the enemy of God. What is he going to do to you for eternity to feel good about your enmity? Torment you in the lake of fire. Right. How are we reconciled? By Jesus Christ. Amen. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. There's substitutionary atonement that reconciled us to God. It says in Romans 5.10, much more, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Right. Jesus died for us to pay the sin debt and said it is finished from a legal payment for our sins. But then he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven and lives there forever, making intercession for us as our high priest. He is our advocate. He is our counselor. He is our mediator. He is our lawyer. Amen. And when we stand before God, our lawyer will take our case. Yeah. He has already promised to take our case and not lose a single one of us. So when we read Romans 5.10, we see the death of Jesus Christ exalted in the first half of the verse, but then Paul wrote much more 
being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And then chapter 8. Chapter 8 says the same thing in different words in verse 34. Romans 8, 34. Who is he that condemneth? Who's condemning a Christian? Someone that has put their faith in the one way, Jesus Christ. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Christ died and took away our condemnation. That's why in the first verse of this chapter it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, and we exalt that death, because we should. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. There's that life of Jesus Christ in heaven at God's right hand, guaranteeing our salvation because he's our surety. Hebrews 7.22 tells us that. Back to John chapter 14. That's how he is the way. And the apostles declared it dogmatically as I read to you from Acts 4.12 this morning, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul told Timothy, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth, back in John chapter 14 and verse 6. I am the truth. There aren't truths. There's the truth. There's the truth and everything else is error. There is truth and everything else is heresy. There's truth. I am the truth. There's truth and error on every subject. But how to get to heaven is truly ultimate truth. Jesus is the light of the world. Without him there is no light. Especially in masonry. Well, they want to take the name light. They want to take the word light, the noun light. They want to talk about light. They have no light. They're Luciferian devil-worshipping pagans. Right. And a third of their membership are Southern Baptist church members. Just want you to know that. Manly P. Hall, one of their greatest philosophers, wrote in his book, Lost Keys of Freemasonry, this. The true Mason is not creed-bound. He realizes with the divine illumination of his lodge that as a Mason, his religion must be universal. Christ, Buddha, or Mohammed, the name means little, for he recognizes only the light and not the bearer. He worships at every shrine, bows before every altar, whether in temple, mosque, or cathedral, realizing with his truer understanding the oneness of all spiritual truth. How about if I just have a moment of silence for a minute so I don't say what's on my tongue? Just give me a minute. One-third of their members are Baptist brethren. Lord, forgive the Southern Baptist Convention. I am the way, 
the truth. Jesus was very creedal. Jesus was very doctrinal. And Jesus was very exclusive. And so are we, just like him. In a time of moral and religious relativism, compromise, we stand for old, exclusive paths in truth. They say, let us agree to disagree. That may work for your favorite ice cream. But not for the will of God. We even agree on ice cream, don't we, wife? Let us agree to disagree. Doesn't work. As long as we all love Jesus, may sound good, but which Jesus should we all love? Tell us who your Jesus is. Since Jesus sent an apostle to put in writing that there is another Jesus. And that many are going to say to Jesus, the true Jesus, in the great day of judgment, Lord, Lord, look what we've done in your name. And he's going to say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Those words are so effeminate, meaningless to say, as long as we all love Jesus. They have no definition. They have no parameters. It has no meaning. Which Jesus are you talking about? And how are you going to love him? Love is not some mushy feeling inside you. Love is keeping his commandments as he taught over and over and over. Someone will say, God sees my heart. Well, that may sound spiritual, but your heart had better produce in your feet, your hands, your mouth, and your checkbook all that he has said you should be doing. Right. Doesn't mean anything. God sees my heart. You know what God says about your heart? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's what God says about your heart. He wants to see our actions. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's truly loving Jesus. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. The God of truth gave us a manual of truth that is unprecedented. We have in writing the most fantastic things in this Bible. These 66 books, the older I get, the more I appreciate the divine library of yes. God's word. Amen. There are 66 volumes on, the, on those shelves when I enter that library. And when you ask him to show you something special, there's so many different genres of, of literature and ways of presentation of the truth. But you know, we believe a verse in Psalm 119, 128. David said about God's words, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Amen. That is Bible doctrine. That is the sweet psalmist of Israel. Those are the words God used to describe David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. When he wrote about the Bible, he said, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Whatever God said about any subject is right, and any contrary opinion, I hate. That's what David said. And Jesus is the son of David by choice. And by both of his parents, his biological mother, and his legal father, Joseph. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 8.20, To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. No light? That's what the Bible says. If you don't like it, fight God. Don't fight us. Fight God. 
I am the way. I am the way. And he's with his 11 chosen apostles. And he brought this all back to their memories in just a few short weeks and then sent them out in the world to preach exactly that. And they preached to Jews and Gentiles, barbarians, Scythians, and Romans. It didn't matter if they were before illustrious men on thrones. They preached the truth about Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead, that he was seated at the right hand of God and he was coming again to judge men. And he's a wonderful Savior to us. Amen. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. The Jews didn't even really have that much truth. They had so many shadows and obscure figures of the true that when we get over to Hebrews, it talks about the true tabernacle, which God set up and man didn't, and the true sacrifices, using that word truth to show that the Jews didn't have it, and of course the Gentiles didn't have it. We've worshipped everything from bugs to totem poles to sun and moon and planets. We'll, re we'll worship reproductive organs in symbol form, like the Washington Monument. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus Christ to be the way and the truth, and he is the life. If Jesus doesn't give us life, we will never know God. An hour or two later, turn over to John 17, an hour or two later, after John 14, Jesus prayed, You know, brethren, the Bible doesn't tell us certain things. But we can know by the first verse of John 18 and the first verse of John 13 that those five chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, all happened in about six hours. Mm -hmm. This is probably not worth anything, and if it's not worth anything and it distracts you, just flush it. Hit the silver lever, okay? Jesus prayed, John 17. He could have been standing with his apostles in a circle. Because do you know how he's going to refer to them? These. Not those. These that thou hast given me. They're right there with them. Right. I have encouraged you mommies to pray in front of your little tiny, tiny children and you fathers. But the mommies can do the work of Hannah, Lois, and Eunice while daddy's at work by getting down on their knees and praying for their little children with, their, with the little children on their knees beside them. And there should be a mood that comes over a mother when she's praying to God that the little child cannot define but knows that there is someone very important, even more important than daddy, that mommy's praying to, and mommy uses that child's name in her prayer. Right. Amen. Jesus lifted up his eyes. To, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven with his apostles and ask God's blessing on these that thou hast given me. Yes. But I want his opening words. Verse 1, Father, the hour has come. 
The mob is on its way to Gethsemane, and Jesus is on his way to Gethsemane. Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This is what we believe, and this is what Jesus taught in germ form in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the life. Notice what he says. Father, you have given me power over all flesh. I have power over all men. But you want me to give eternal life to those that you have given me, my elect. The elect that you have chosen out of the all flesh that you gave me to save, I give unto them eternal life. Verse 2 is just fantastic. You've given me power over all flesh so that I would give eternal life to as many of all flesh as you've given me. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. We don't know God in order to get eternal life. Jesus has to give us eternal life for us to know God. And by giving us eternal life, he gives us a new man. That new man understands spiritual truth and loves spiritual truth. That new man loves God and wants to serve God. Mm -hmm. And so getting to the Father in heaven is all the phases of salvation wrapped up in John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Only by his substitutionary atonement do we get there. Only by his doctrine do we know how to get there or the way there. Only by him giving life do we have the eternal life to live with God, the Father in heaven forever. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. Enough has been said already. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The foolish shall not... Look what Psalm 5 says. This is so hard for people to believe today because of what goes for preaching in most pulpits. In, in Psalm 5 and verses 4 through 6, Jesus, David wrote something that is hardly even understood or known anymore. And it's not here only, but it's in various places. Psalm 5, verse 4. Thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. God is not happy with all of us. Thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. There cannot be sin in heaven. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. So remember that the next time you act foolishly or speak foolishly, the foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. God hates all workers of iniquity. This is what the Bible teaches. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. Those are liars. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. There's a violent person and again, a liar or deceiver. But the foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. So wh what do we do? We come back for the second assembly. 
because I will deal with this very directly and pointedly before we come to the Lord's table. But what do we do? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is forgiveness with the Lord, as we heard from Psalm 130 by our young brother. There's forgiveness with the Lord. There's, a, there's plenteous redemption. There's more than enough to redeem us from our sins through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There's no way by your goodness. There's no way by your baptism. There's no way by membership in any church. There's no priest. There's no father. There's no pastor. There's no pope. There's no cardinal nor bishop that can help anyone. It's only the Lord Jesus Christ. No man cometh unto the Father. You do not want to meet God without Jesus Christ standing there. I don't care what you want to appeal to doctrinally or what you want to appeal to practically. You do not want to meet Almighty God without Jesus Christ there. With Him there, He will deliver you if you have put your trust in Him and laid hold of Him by faith, been baptized in His name, and have followed that with good works. That is the evidence that you are one of His that the Father gave Him to give eternal life to. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. When the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But then Jesus added, because that is not enough. The devils believe and tremble. That is not enough. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Jesus taught, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus said that not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So when we look at these last words of verse 6, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, Jesus did all the work. How do we assure our hearts? How do we make our calling and election sure? How do we lay hold of eternal life? How can we know? We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he is indeed the Son of God and the only way, truth, and life in this world and the light of this world. We get baptized to identify ourselves with him in Baptist baptism by burial in water and resurrection just like John the Baptist did it. And then we obey his commandments to show by a changed life that our faith is real and our baptism was in sincerity. And we can know that we have eternal life. But that eternal life is only through the one way, truth, and life of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Oh, brethren, there was one Adam, and he ate the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it brought death on all those that were in him, about a hundred billion. Every miscarriage, every baby that dies, dies because of their connection to Adam. But there's a second Adam that the Bible tells us about. And everyone chosen in him and given to him, like John 17, 2 teaches, everyone given to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ will give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And that's the truth of the gospel. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But he's the way, the truth, and the life only to those that are in him. That's something that we can't see or know directly. So how do we lay hold of eternal life, but by believing 
and being baptized and keeping his commandments. Right. O oh Lord, have mercy upon us and help us to do that. And we thank thee for Thomas's little speed bump that gave you the occasion to give us a wonderful verse. We believe it, we submit to it, and we want to follow it. We love your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.